True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Do you play in a keeper league? If so, you've come to the right place. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball today on Tuesday, January 4th. I am Frank Stanfield, and you know what they say about Scott White. Now that's a keeper. What's up, Scotty? How you doing? Yeah, it's interesting you you lead with that because I was just thinking, observing my surroundings here on the camera. We have a we have a bare Christmas tree behind me. Like it's just bare. We got a bare corner of the desk here behind me. Like there's very much it it it, it really like uh, conjures images of like a going out of business sale. I feel like behind me, like, that's where my mind goes. So. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that anybody looks at this background and think there's a keeper there, but maybe there is. <laughs> hey, look, when we first started doing this with the couch in the background, the people liked the Scott White couch, so. They didn't, though. Oh, come on, I did. That counts, <laughs> they right? They made fun of it. That counts for they something, They did right? not like our hand-me-down <laughs> furniture and uh, and categorized it as such, and they're, they're accurate. It was, you know. They said, they said it looks like a grandmother's uh, basement. I think <laughs> it, it was a hand-me-down couch from my wife's grandmother. So, all right, accurate, accurate. That that accurate. would that would be true. And you do have yeah. a new microphone set up too. So we've got a lot yeah. going on here, Scotty. Got we a got pop filter. Hopefully, I don't sound any worse. Hopefully, when my pee sounds don't pop as much. Yeah. Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. How does that make your ears feel? Is it a lot of was it breathy, or was it nice and smooth? Smooth. And that's like what we're it. going for. I yeah. like it, Scotty. I think I like it so far. Let's stick with it. Today is the Keeper Show. What does that mean? We're going to talk all about Keepers. Scott has an awesome article that's currently live on the site. They're more so just rankings, but we're going to talk about those, the top 50 Keeper rankings. We're going to talk a little bit Keeper versus Dynasty. What are the differences in those formats? Players to target late in your Keeper Leagues this year. I looked up a whole list of players that are currently injured that you might want to draft and hold on to for the following year. And then I did snag some questions from our Fantasy uh, Baseball Today Facebook group. So if you are not joined up there and you have a Facebook, then you should. So anytime that we uh, interact with you guys, then you can join in on the discussion and have some fun. Scott, do you play in any keeper leagues yourself? Or is it just 
the Scott White Dynasty League? I play in a keeper league, one keeper league. Um, it was my first keeper league, and where where you keep four players basically from year to year, and some there are some additional rules that have been added and subtracted over time. Uh, I'm in several dynasty leagues, and you know sometimes it's not totally clear the distinction between a dynasty league and a keeper league. I feel like generally dynasty leagues are talking about turning over less of your roster from year to year. And usually there's some kind of farm system element going on with the dynasty league. Uh, there, there can be contracts or no contracts, but I feel like you could have that in a keeper league too. So I don't know. I don't know that that's really the distinction there. Uh, but you, you know, that that's, that's kind of how I see the distinction between dynasty leagues and keeper leagues. And so I tried to, I tried to create this list. I've been doing it for a few years now, these these top 50 keepers that distinguishes itself from other lists, basically. It's kind of kind of wonky, but I don't want just here are the best 50 players to keep straight up because presuming it is a true keeper league, everybody keeps you know just five or six players. There's a lot of roster turnover still. Your focus should still be in, in that scenario on the near term. So I, I feel like if I did a top 50 keepers list for that format, everybody kept on equal terms, only five or six keepers per team. It basically looked like my redraft rankings, right? Like I, I don't exactly. think there'd be a huge difference between those two. I do have separate dynasty rankings where I put a heavy emphasis on youth and longevity. But again, that's, that's for a format with minimal roster turnover and with a heavy emphasis on on like like a, like have a, like a farm system. So how do I do a top 50 keeper list that's different from those? And and the way I've decided to set it up over the past few years is to tailor it specifically for those keeper leagues where everybody's not kept on equal terms, where you're having to forfeit something to keep a player and and the, the something that you're forfeiting is relevant is is um was the word I was going to say? The something that you're for the something that you're forfeiting is relative. That's the word I'm looking for. Relative to what you paid for that player. So, you know, if you drafted a player in round 13, you might keep them in round 13, or maybe there's a slight markup. You keep them in round 11 or 10. You know, so that's that's a key variable to these top 50 keepers is where the player was drafted on average last year. Now, are these rankings directly applicable to anybody? Probably not, right? But yeah. <laughs> nobody's league drafted exactly off ADP. And if you've had a keeper league set up like this for several years, there are still holdovers, right? Guys right. who were drafted later than ADP years ago, and you're still reaping the benefits of the discount. So are these really the tr- and truly one through 50, the top? 50 keepers in your league probably not i i just don't think there's a way to for this exercise to directly apply to to any one league or any one person i i think you just you have to consider it more of a rough guide and you know i i think mostly it's become a tool that people can look at and argue about that's mostly what it exists for but uh, hopefully there is some practical application, even if there's not a direct one. 
I think the main word that you use there, Scott, is relative, right? So this is yeah, relative. The, one I think of, the word I kind of think of. <laughs> this, this is relative very to important word. <laughs> each person's each person's league and the way that players are, you know, valued in that league. And I, I think that you know that's the the other word that I would focus on there too is that these these keeper rankings are based on value. They are value based from the previous season. Uh, you know, how cheap did you get that player for? You know, what kind of impact did they give you last season? So we're, you're basically you're trying to just put all of these things together and spit out like a rankings list. So, of course, mm-hmm. it is subjective. Uh, so there's yep. going to be people who have things to say about it, which is perfectly fine. Uh, and I thought it was interesting. The four priorities that you highlighted in the article uh, are in this order. Potential for impact. So, you know, people who impact right away, uh, you know, Really, and, the and, early and round the ex- players. Yeah, and the extent of the impact. Potential for impact, extent of the impact. Studs are what sets you apart in fantasy, particularly if you're talking a 12-team context. So even more than the extent of the discount is how much keeping this player is going to set you apart. Mm-hmm. Right. So all four of those priorities, potential for impact, extent of the discount, degree of assurance, and lastly, youth and longevity, which obviously matters more so in Dynasty leagues, and just to put a bow on the keeper versus dynasty discussion, because I, I thought that you said it well, Scott. I think in keeper leagues, for me, the biggest distinction is, you know, maybe anywhere from one to six keepers, one to eight. I think maybe if you get over eight players being kept on each team, then you're starting to talk about a dynasty context. But really, for me, the the difference is just that you keep more players in dynasty. You you almost keep your entire team, I would say, year over year. And I do think that there's more of a prospect element in dynasty leagues, whether it's having minor league spots on your team, a farm system, whatever it might be. Uh, I, it, it just mm-hmm. goes deeper into the player pool. So I would say that's really the biggest difference uh, between dynasty and uh, keeper leagues. So, all right, well, let's jump into this list, Scotty, and start off with the top five keepers in your opinion. And it starts off with Vladimir Guerrero. And what's really cool on the site is if you're following along here, I'll put the article in the podcast and YouTube description so you can follow along. Uh, Scott has the ADP for each player from last year. So you can kind of follow along and see, all right, well, who was a really good value? And, you know, let's say you just keep a player for one round higher than the previous year. Obviously, you know, that's that's going to, to boost up the value of some of these players. Like, for example, in my Homekeeper League, we keep up to four players and they move up one round of value each year that they were drafted. But the catch is you can only keep each player for up to three years. So eventually, yeah. everyone gets an opportunity to draft that player again, uh, which, in my opinion, seems really fair. And I think that this is the way to do a keeper league, by the way, Scott. I think that there should be some kind of penalty. I know some people might push back on that. Maybe that's the way that they've played for so long, where you can just keep your five best players, which is fine. If that's how you've always played, sure. But Yeah, that's how my league's set up. It's, it's not really... Like, I don't have a lot of experience with this keeper format. I'll just be totally honest with you. And then play in at least a dozen leagues every year, and there are so many different formats out there that this, I've just never gotten a chance to play in a keeper league where you do keep somebody relative to where they were taken. Keeper leagues I've played in, it's just your best players straight up, right? So, um, you know, I, I, I'm just, I'm just, uh, just putting that out there that there are so many different variations for these formats. Like it gets back to what I was saying earlier. It can't, this list can't be all things to all people because if your league 
you know, the markup from one year to the next is three rounds. Well, then suddenly Vladimir Guerrero drafted in round four, you're paying a first round cost to keep him, right? Right. So does he really deserve to be, spoiler alert, number one on this list in that format? If it's a first round pick you're giving up to keep him anyway, I, I think he would probably be in the top five still, but I have him number one. So, uh, and then you mentioned in your league there are limits to how many years you can keep these players. Well, that makes a difference too because locking in Cedric Mullins indefinitely as a late-round pick, well, that's much more attractive in a league where you can do that than one where you're only doing that for two years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that would affect where how high he is in the list on the list. I like it. I, I like it with the penalty, Scott. So, I mean, that's what I, like. That's what I've. This is my longest standing home league. It's a head-to-head points league, uh, and I, I like the fact that there's a penalty. So, I would encourage everyone to to play with something like that. Um, but let's jump into the rankings. Top five here. You have Vladimir Guerrero, and then Fernando Tatis, Juan Soto, Shohei Otani, and Ronald Acuna. And I'm just gonna go ahead and assume that you have Otani ahead of Acuna because of where Otani was drafted last year so assuming that there is some kind of penalty if you're able to keep Otani for a 13th round pick or an 11th round pick whatever it might be to you that is more valuable versus just keeping Ronald Acuna in the first round yeah I mean legitimately realistically both are going to be kept right they're they're both in my top five and the top 50 keepers but yeah the the of the five names you've mentioned so far Otani was the latest drafted this past year going in round 13 on average in Roto, round 11 in average uh, in CBS head-to-head leagues. And so, you know, particularly if the markup is only a round or no rounds from one year to the next, uh, getting a, what's a consensus first round pick this year, maybe second round if you play in a points league, getting him halfway through your draft, I mean, that's a huge discount. Acuna is somebody who, you know, this remember this league is kind of short-term focused doesn't pay no attention to longevity but that's that's only the fourth factor that's really being considered here and and the likelihood of Acuna missing a month or two of 2022 uh, even though realistically you want to hold on to him forever with your first round pick yeah it's enough to drop him behind Otani by the way in my home league as well the penalty for keeping a first round pick someone drafted in the first round from the previous year is you have to give up your first and your fifth round pick. So it it becomes really expensive Mm -hmm. if you want to do that. So I don't know that, you know, again, it's, it's everyone's probably because it's so obvious to keep your first round pick. They're trying to, they're trying to discourage you from doing that. So, yeah, I mean, if, if, if your league is set up like that, this, this, these rankings would probably look quite a bit different. Yeah. But I think the the players who rank highly in terms of value, that definitely still makes sense. Uh, and I think would be ac- applicable in leagues like that as well. Let's move on to 6 through 10 in the keeper ranks. Wander Franco checks in at number 6. And then Jose Ramirez, Bo Bichette, Kyle Tucker, and Corbin Burns. Wander Franco was a 24th round pick in Roto last year. 23rd round pick in head-to-head. And again, I, I think this just comes down to the value, Scott. I mean, the fact that Wander Franco is as young as he is, but also that we expect him to make a pretty big impact right away. I question his immediate impact in Roto, but in terms of a points league, we spoke about this in our first uh, head-to-head points mock draft. 
he hit seven homers, 18 doubles, five triples, and he had just a 12% strikeout rate. He averaged 3.3 fantasy points per game. That's definitely going to play in a points league. Yeah, and I think he's going to hit for average, if nothing else. Eventually, the power is going to be there. Could the power happen this upcoming season? I think it could. He showed more power late in the year. I think he had, did he have three home runs in the postseason? Uh, either uh, two home two home runs in the post in four postseason games hit two home runs. Yeah, so, you know, obviously a tiny sample, but still, <laughs> it's nice. Uh, uh, on a national stage, there, Wander Franco showed some pop, and I think that's definitely in his future. And if he emerges as a first round type player this year, it would come to the surprise of no one. As for his placement on the list here, um, six number six overall. His ADP this past year was around twenty four in roto, twenty three in head to head. I imagine, you know, because obviously that's ADP of all leagues drafting. But if if you knew it was a keeper league, he probably goes earlier than that. But still, yeah. particularly in a league where only four or five players are kept, it's it is plausible that he wasn't drafted any earlier than like round fifteen. And if that's a discount that you can repeat year after year. Right, there's not like a two year limit on it, like in your league, Frank. If that's a discount you can lock in for years to come, there's there's an argument that Wander Franco even needs to be higher than this. Yeah, so I, I was going to mention last year in my home league, uh, I drafted uh, Bobby Witt, and we have two minor league spots too. So I usually pull the whatever the best minor leaguers are up in that draft, and I'll probably take them in like round 15 or round 16 just to make sure that I get them, and then I'll just stash them all year. And if if they get called up, cool. Let's see if they make an impact. If not, then I have the option to keep them the following year. So uh, I would say for anyone who has a league set up similar, yeah, maybe just pull them off the board a little bit to uh, just to have that that possibility uh, of keeping them the the following season. Corbin Burns checks in at number 10 here. Scott, your first pitcher in terms of keeper rankings here. And are you lower just on in general on pitchers in keeper leagues? I know typically we are in dynasty, but what about keeper leagues where maybe there's not as much... Uh, where there is more turnover, obviously. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not that much lower in a keeper league. And, and you pointed out the difference perfectly. I mean, Dynasty League, how 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 many years ahead can you project any pitcher? Like they're so combustible. It's just a bad idea to do that. But again, this these rankings are are focused more on the near term. But there is still that small long-term consideration where particularly this high in the rankings when you're talking about players that you'll keep at basically any cost for as long as you're allowed to keep them, then it's a really high standard for a pitcher. I think Corbin Burns, obviously, any for inning, uh, he was the best pitcher other than DeGrom this past year. And there is potentially a multi-round discount. He was drafted in round five on average in Roto, around seven on average in head-to-head points. And by the way, that's Fantasy Pros Roto CBS head-to-head points. So it's if, if sometimes it seems like, well, why was he drafted later in head-to-head points when he's a pitcher? It's because I'm, I'm using two different sources for those numbers, which maybe I shouldn't do, but whatever. I wish Fantasy Pros had head-to-head ADP because I prefer their ADP. But anyway, <laughs> getting back to Corbin Burns. Um, yeah, I, th- there's a chance you could keep him in round five or later when he's being drafted now in round two so you know that's that's a nice discount for a really high-end arm that should have in theory 
should have a few good years ahead of him. Yeah, and he might even be a first-round pick in head-to-head points league. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, definitely a possibility. And, wow, Scott, you prefer Fantasy Pros ADP over CBS? I'm uh, <laughs> Just because it's more data. I know? am telling our it, bosses. It includes CBS's <laughs> ADP and several other sites. <laughs> no, nah, I agree with you. Yeah, it is, it is a great tool. Uh, 11 through 15 here, we got Trey Turner, Bryce Harper, Mike Trout, Garrett Cole, and Mookie Betts. Really don't think we need to say much about this group. It's makes sense. They're all big names. They're all proven commodities. Even some yeah. that are a little bit older. In a Mike Trout, he turned 30 years old this past year. When he was healthy, he was still really good. You know, whenever we've seen him in recent years, whenever he's been healthy, he's he's been exactly that. He's been really, really damn good. So Now, th- 13th is probably the lowest I've ever had Mike Trout, but I still think just like... I, and, and I understand there's some debate. Oh, do you really use a first-round pick on Trout? I st- say you absolutely do. Others, you know, maybe not, but like if I had Mike Trout in a keeper league, I just I just can't imagine giving him up as bankable as he's been for you basically since he entered the league, with obviously the calf injury last year being the only exception. I, I think I think you cling to him in a keeper league like he's, you know, the best player in baseball, because he may be. All right. Well, you have a an outfielder that is outside your top 20 keeper ranks that I actually would keep over Mike Trout. And we'll talk about that when we get there. But 16 through 20, Cedric Mullins, who was undrafted last season. Austin Riley at 17. Then Julio Arias, Sandy Alcantara, and Robbie Ray. We spoke about four out of five names on this list on yesterday's podcast. So if you didn't catch that, go back and listen to it. We were talking about the biggest breakouts from 2021 and how likely it is for them to repeat. Mentioned Cedric Mullins was undrafted last year. Scott, what do you think the penalty should be? I know that your keeper league doesn't use penalties, but what do you think the penalty should be for an undrafted player, a free agent? In my home league, it's the twelfth round. It's a twelfth round pick, smack daddy in the middle of the draft. So explain this to me because I've never understood this. Why is there a penalty? Like, why is it more expensive to keep a player who's picked up off waivers versus one who was actually drafted late? Because I, I, I kind of feel like it should just default to the last round. A guy who wasn't drafted, that's that's how you should treat his keeper value going into the next year because you know you, you paid even less for him than the draft pick you paid for somebody who was drafted you know that late. Is it just kind of rewarding somebody for having the foresight? To take a guy late because they were thinking, ah, I, I, I think this guy will be good and I can I can keep him for really cheap next year when maybe a waiver wire pickup is there's more luck to that. Is is that the thinking? I, I genuinely don't understand it. That's exactly it. <laughs> what okay. you just said. That's ex- yeah. We we reward people for uh, for drafting players that they think have that breakout ability, maybe prospects that they hold on to throughout the course of the season. And we used to do it where an undrafted player, a free agent throughout the course of the year would just be a last round pick. And if you're keeping four waiver wire pickups, then it would just be your last four picks. But um, yeah, I mean, there was just so many keepers at that point that were just like the last four picks of the draft. We were like, well, let's incentivize this a little bit and, and find a way to do that. So yeah, it just made it, it just made it too easy to have these dirt cheap keepers. Exactly. That's that's kind of the downside to making it. So the waiver wire pickups are late round keepers. I I guess I could see that because obviously the guys you draft at the end, even in a shallow league, there's, 
more likely than not, they're getting dropped at some point because somebody like Cedric Mullins or whoever else is emerging on the waiver wire. So I guess that makes sense. I still think maybe round 12 seems a little stiff, like a little a little too much. Right. But I mean, you've, exper- you've experienced it in a way I haven't, so I can't really speak to that. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I can just rattle off a few names that I've picked up in recent years. Jack Flaherty is someone I... I would keep year after year because he was a free agent pickup and I was able to keep him in round 12. Uh, I th- No, you Darvish, I think, was actually drafted. But yeah, Jack Flaherty is the one that comes to mind. But usually there are a lot of players kept in round 12. Like every year, I don't, you know, there's maybe one or two draft picks that actually happen in round 12 because so many uh, free agent waiver wire pickups are actually kept in that round year over year. Sandy Alcantara, we haven't really talked about... Um, much outside of the few mock drafts that we've done, Scott, but he is 19th here in terms of your keeper rankings, and I love him. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think that everything is there for him. The fact that he's in the prime of his career right now, he's 26 years old, he's a workhorse, one of four starting pitchers who went at least 200 innings this past season. He made big strides in terms of his control. He's got a four-pitch mix, gets a lot of ground balls, I feel like everything is there, and maybe you kind of knock the strikeouts because you see he's under a strikeout per inning, but the swinging strike rate to me tells tells a different story that you know maybe yeah. there's more strikeouts coming on the way. So that's elite, and it was yeah. crazy over the last two months. I believe it was like it, it got much better over the course of the season. His final well. final thirteen starts got fifteen percent swinging strike rate. Yeah, I love Sandy Alcantara as well. It's not as big a discount as. Some of the the players ahead of, just ahead of him, like Cedric Mullins and Austin Riley, he was drafting around 11, 10, 11 on average this past year. So you know if you're if it's like a three round markup in your league, you know you still want to keep him in round seven or eight. That's why he's the nineteenth best keeper here. But it's not the dream scenario necessarily. But yeah, I think he's awesome. the 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 one big drawback for Sandy Alcantara is that he plays for the Marlins. Yep. And what do you have like uh, last year? Eight wins, I think it was. His win loss record, given how good he pitched, it how, was how well he pitched. It was so unlucky. Nine and 15. Nine and 15. Geez. Nine and 15. Now, he was still great in fantasy, even in points leagues, in spite of that record, which is a testament to how well he does everything else. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's a drawback. And I don't, I don't see the Marlins being particularly on offense, that much better this year. <laughs> Whoa, Scott. Abisael <laughs> Garcia, come on, give this guy some credit. <laughs> Move yeah. over, Chris. We've got a new Marlins fan on the podcast because I'm <laughs> I'm all about it, man. Sandy Alcantara, like, uh, I, I like him quite a bit. Let's move on to 21 through 25 in the keeper ranks. You have Walker Bueller and then Brandon Woodruff, Shane Bieber, Luis Robert, and Rafael Devers. And Luis Robert is the name that I was referring to earlier. I wouldn't keep him in a vacuum over Mike Trout, but I think given the discount, fourth round in Roto, seventh round in head-to-head, you're talking about a player now who, what I've seen is pretty consistently a second-round pick in in drafts so far, at least in Roto. You know, maybe he falls around further in head-to-head points leagues. There's just so much to like, Scott. 24 years old, what he did this past season. I don't know how sustainable it is, but 338 batting average, 13 homers, 6 steals, cuts that, cuts that strikeout rate down tremendously. It seems like, much like Sandy Alcantara, everything is there for Luis Robert to just become this fantasy superstar. It's just it, He just has to stay healthy. That's the biggest thing for him. 
Yeah, and it, it's worth pointing out that I'm not really arguing against keeping any of these players, no matter where they're ranked. I mean, yeah. we're at 24 here yeah. <laughs> in the top 50. That's where Luis Robert is. And, you know, if you're talking about a 12-team league where five players are kept on each team, that's 60 keepers. That's more than can even be shown on the top 50 keepers here. So they're all good keepers. But the reason Luis Robert isn't higher than this is because his Roto Roto ADP specifically, which is a more valuable format, was round four this past year. If there's a markup of two rounds, round two is where he's being drafted. Yeah. You know, and and in, and in some roto leagues, I think twelve teamers, it, it, it's possible he gets pushed into round three because he's more of a late second rounder than an early second rounder. So, you know, if you're really limited on keeper space, I don't know that it's, I don't know that it, he's automatic, and particularly in a keeper scenario, there's a chance somebody even drafted him earlier than this because it's a keeper league, right? So. I don't think the discount for Luis Robert is that great. But yes, the the potential for impact is high, and there's a chance there's some small discount there, and there's some longevity, and being only 24 years old. So, still a fine keeper. Mm. I want to go out there and make some crazy claim, but I'm, I'm not going to do it. Am I going to do it? <laughs> Should I do it? Do I, just, it. I just feel like Luis Robert has this like Ronald Acuna type upside, Scott, and I don't know. Maybe I'm just drinking the Kool Aid too much, but man, I'm I'm about it. Probably not the speed of a Ronald Acuna, but there is just a lot to like there. Uh, for, there there for is a first Robert. round outcome, and I do mention it in the article actually. Oh, it's so the there two you go. sentences right. I wrote, <laughs> I mentioned it's easy to envision a first round outcome for Luis Robert. So I don't, I don't think it's that wild of a claim. Yeah. And and with that, this is a good time to point out, Scott likes Luis Robert. It's not like you're down yeah. on him or anything. So no. I want to point that out as well. Let's take a quick break. When we return, we'll get to the rest of the keeper rankings here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. All right, so let's jump back in at 26 through 30 in the keeper ranks. We have Zach Wheeler, Freddie Peralta, Matt Olson, Yordan Alvarez, and Bobby Witt Jr., our first prospect here in the keeper ranks. And this is just a great group in terms of value. Zach Wheeler, eighth round in Roto last year. Freddie Peralta, 22nd round. Olson and Yordan Alvarez, they were in the seventh round. Uh, Bobby Witt went undrafted in most leagues, you know, assuming that you don't have any minor league spots or anything like that. But, Scott, when it comes to Bobby Witt, second overall pick in 2019, 21 years old. We've talked about him already a few times this offseason. We've had the Welsh on here to, to talk about what kind of impact Bobby Witt can provide, potentially in year one. I think we all kind of assume he's going to be up early. We'll see 
what happens with the the CBA and, and whatever comes of that. But the steamer projection is pretty bullish here. 267 batting average, 24 homers, 18 steals over 134 games for Bobby Witt. Yeah. I mean, he he's got a ton of upside. He's got a projectable path. Definitely seems like one of those prospects who could make an immediate impact. And it's interesting. So he's 30th here on the list, and it just so happens. I didn't do this on purpose, but I happened to look back last year to see where I had Wander Franco, who at that point was considered the top prospect to roster in fantasy. It was exactly the same spot. It was 30th in these rankings, which is especially impressive because this is a stretch of the rankings where it's like, like what what point is there of even ordering them, right? Because <laughs> there's just so many different variables and it, it's so dependent on your own specific circumstances. Like the fact I have Zach Wheeler 26, one spot ahead of Freddie Peralta, Zach Wheeler's ADP this past year between round five and eight, Peralta's between round 19 and 22. If you wanted to keep Peralta more, you know, it really just depends on the extent how much of that discount is being applied in your league. You mm-hmm. know, how many keepers are being kept, how many years you can lock them up for, lock in that discount for, because Peralta is obviously much younger than Zach Wheeler. Uh, I ultimately went with Wheeler ahead of Peralta because I think the potential for impact in 2022 is definitely higher for Wheeler. I haven't. 15 spots or more ahead of Peralta in my starting pitcher rankings. But if there's reason in your specific setup to value the discount more, to value the longevity more, of course, don't have a problem with you keeping Peralta over Wheeler. It was a close call even putting together these rankings. All right, 31 through 35 in the keeper ranks. We have Kevin Gosman, Chris Sale, Marcus Semien, Teoscar Hernandez, and Brian Reynolds. And for Reynolds and Sale, those are the two here that really stand out in terms of being the biggest values from last season. Brian Reynolds really was most likely one of the last round picks in your draft, 26th round in Roto, 27th in head-to-head. And Chris Sale, I'll point out, Scott, you know, he's he turns 33 in March. I'm sure you know that, and you factored that in here. But again, this comes down to he was drafted as late as he was last year. So even if he's only... Let's say he's only really good again this year, and then he starts to fall off the year after that, starts to fall off a little bit more after that. Even if it's just for this year, he should be a really, really good value based on last season's ADP. Yeah, I feel like the Tommy John recoverers, recoveries, however you'd say it, I feel like they are ideally suited for this format because everybody forgets about them the year that they are injured. You can get them for dirt cheap no matter if they have the kind of history Chris Sale has or Justin Verlander has, like consistent Cy Young contender, they tend to slip through the cracks because, you know, they're not they're not the prospects that are on everybody's mind, of course, and they're not going to be able to contribute in the year that that's currently going on. So if you're willing to stash them for a full season, you're going to reap the benefits in a big way the next year. So I have Sale here at... 32. Of course, we already saw him come back at the end of last year and looked pretty effective. I have Justin Verlander 43rd, so 11 spots behind because we haven't seen him come back yet and because he's five years older, I think, than Chris Sale. You know, Chris Sale's not a young guy himself, but Verlander's 38. Mm -hmm. But still, they're both in my top 50, and uh, 
although I haven't played exactly in this kind of keeper format, I have some of my dynasty leagues are set up in a way that reward this significantly as well. The the Tommy John recovery who slips through the cracks. Yeah, I think Justin Verlander went for, I don't know, five or ten dollars in the Scott White Dynasty League last year. And that's a league where it you add five dollars onto the salary year over year. So Well, yeah. It's a little more complicated than oh, that. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> um to put it in perspective, so Justin Verlander went for five this past year, uh, with an anticipation of using him in twenty twenty two. A high end starting pitcher like that in the free agent auction would go for like between fifty and sixty dollars. A Justin Verlander caliber pitcher like that. So to to have him locked in the next year for it would actually be six dollars. It'd actually go up one dollar. Right. next year is obviously a good play you know obviously not an immediate play but looking ahead to the next year yeah and i have a few of those names later on that we will get to i'll, I'll reveal uh reveal them so you might want to if you play in a keeper league write them down and and make sure to just throw them in the queue towards the end of your draft to make sure you don't forget about them 36 through 40 we have logan webb byron buxton frankie montas jorge polanco and tyler o'neill Tyler O'Neill, 29th round pick in Roto last year, undrafted in head-to-head. And, you know, I was thinking about this earlier, Scott. I think Tyler O'Neill might be the biggest representative in how his value changes from one format to the other. You know, normally we have some players like that where if this guy steals bases, if he strikes out a lot, obviously he'll be, you know, devalued in a points league versus Roto. Kind of feel like Tyler O'Neill is going to be kind of the face of that this year where he's much more useful in Roto. He just, he strikes out so much in a points league. I mean, a a 31% strikeout rate uh, this past season. Um, Yeah. Like I just, I think that's something that you need to expect when it comes to Tyler O'Neill, but he was amazing. 34 homers, 15 steals, uh, finally managed to say, stay somewhat healthy, 138 games here. And he's just a freak athlete. So I, I think that there is a lot to like, and also in the prime of his career, 26 years old. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. Of course, his skill set is more suited for Roto than, than points leagues. I'm not sure if he's going to be the poster child for that or not. Just this past year, I actually spit on my <laughs> top filter just now. So hopefully it's good at uh, filtering that out as well. Um, yeah. So this past year, Tyler O'Neill 3.13 head to head points per game. That's compared to like 3.10 for Whit Merrifield, 3.17 for JD Martinez, 3.19 for Brian Reynolds, who we think is of as more of a points league specialist. So in the same range as those guys, I mm-hmm. think, I think it, at least this past year, the points format uh, valued Tyler O'Neill pretty fairly. It's obviously a huge discount. If you could pencil him in for the same numbers in 2022 that he had in 2021, I'd put him even higher on this list. It does seem like a more volatile profile because of all those strikeouts and impact. It it, it depends on him impacting the ball exceptionally hard, which I think he has the ability to do and, and maintain from year to year. But having only done it the one year so far, uh, there are there are certain more expensive keepers that I would value over him. Um, not not wanting it to be a one and done sort of keeper because he kind of in 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 case he comes crashing back down to earth because of that strikeout rate. Not projecting it to happen, but 
safeguarding against it a little bit by ranking him 40th here. Mm -hmm. I do think as long as he's healthy, the power and speed is pretty safe, but the batting average there could be a lot of volatility there given that strikeout rate. So I would like the range is he hit 286 last year. I would say that's probably close to the ceiling for Tyler O'Neill. I think the floor in terms of the batting average could be 220, you know, maybe even lower than that. So just keep that yeah. in mind. I think a lot of volatility in the batting average, but I, I think the power and speed is actually pretty safe for Tyler O'Neill. Uh, 41 through 45, we have Ozzy Albies, Carlos Correa, Justin Verlander, Jesse Winker, and Joe Musgrove. And I think Jesse Winker is interesting. You know, I was looking at his numbers today and I realized. He's been really good every year that he's been in baseball. It's just he cannot stay healthy. So 288 batting average, 888 OPS for his career. It's great, but he's never played more than 113 games. So I like the player, Scott. I worry a little bit about the Reds lineup, losing Nick Castellanos, maybe even losing other pieces. They're talking about, you know, selling some players off there. And then the fact that he can't stay healthy. So I, yeah. I like the profile. It's just there, there are some red flags for Jesse Winker. Yeah, and my initial inclination both on this list and in my redraft rankings was to put him higher than I ultimately have him because I think it's easy to overlook just how good a year he was having. You, you kind of he, he missed basically the last quarter of the season, right? So you forget how awesome he was before then using head-to-head -head points per game as the basis for comparison again, 3.72 for Jesse Winker this past year, uh, Kyle Tucker was 3.51. Yeah. 3.72 was like fifth best at the position. You know, mm -hmm. it, it was a total stud. And, you know, his, his skill set's more suited for points leagues. So, you know, maybe just down a little bit in Roto. But the point is, he was awesome. Hit 305, 949 OPS. Uh, plenty of power, 24 home runs in 110 games. There is the injury risk that causes me to downgrade him some, but there's also the platoon risk because he is terrible against left-handed pitchers, just terrible. I, I told you the overall numbers he had this past year. He hit 176 with a 572 OPS <laughs> against lefties, and that is something so bad. that's been pretty consistent throughout his career. So... I don't know for sure that the Reds would platoon him. They're, they're kind of in a semi-rebuild now, so they're not going to have many alternatives. And I imagine if Joe, Jesse Winker's going strong, they'll just put him out there every day. But there's always that threat that when he's not going as well that they might experiment a little, putting ha having him sit against tougher left-handers and lose playing time that way. Mm -hmm. Plus, he's already 28, so he's not especially young. That's why he's 44th here, even though he was drafted pretty late and... Just had an awesome year. Yeah, man, he's a tough he's a tough one to figure out because I agree. I like the skill set, but it's just there are you know there are things that are worrisome here in the profile. I mean, specifically against lefties, he he actually hit the ball hard against lefties this past season, forty three percent hard contact, but with a fifty three percent ground ball rate and an eighteen percent infield fly ball rate. So his batted ball profile against lefties is just all over the place, and that is that many ground balls. That many um, pop-outs, that's going to lead to a really, really low BABIP. Um, and there's not really any reason to expect it to regress as long as the, the batted ball profile looks like that. 46 through 50 here, Jonathan India, Willie Adamas, Jazz Chisholm, Dalton Varsho, and Alec Manoa, all 
of whom were undrafted last year outside of Varsho in the 20th round of Roto drafts last year uh, because he is, as you point out in the article, Scott, kind of a unicorn. I mean, he has the ability to maybe produce a JT Real Muto-like stat line over the course of a full season because he's going to play more than the average catcher. He has... Um, he's going to play in the outfield for the Diamondbacks. He's probably going to be the backup catcher there for them as well. So I think because of that reason, you just expect him to play more, um, which inherently gives him more value as a catcher. Yeah, and you didn't even mention the biggest, the biggest differentiator for Dalton Varsha, which is the speed. And like it's legitimate, like he was a legitimate base dealer in the minors. JT Real Muto has been among the better base dealers at the catcher position in addition to the the playing time advantage he has. But his career high is still only 13 steals achieved just this past year. Only two double-digit steal seasons in his entire career. When Varsho, I mean, he could be a 20-steal guy, potentially, as a catcher, as somebody who's catcher-eligible anyway. So I think there's a chance that he is just the automatic number one catcher uh, over the next few years because he just has he just has so many advantages that nobody else at that position has. Obviously, it depends on him hitting well enough to get those chances, but if he does and he showed signs after coming back up from the minors last year that, that maybe he was breaking through, then uh, the potential for impact here is, is something that's going to be well worth locking in with a late round pick, if if that is indeed what you'd keep him for, yeah, I mean this gets this group. It all has youth on its side. They all have youth on their side. They all have extent of the discount on their side, but it's questionable how much of an impact they'll make because they're just not that proven yet. Alec Noah, Jazz Chisholm, uh, Willie Adamas to an extent, and of course Jonathan India. Um, I'm trying to think who maybe. If if I was playing it a little safer in terms of ceiling, who I would have gone with here, I can't remember. I can't remember some of the names that I considered instead. But it it's definitely like a group of 15 you could consider for those last five spots in the top 50 keepers here. I do want to go back to one, if we can. Sure. Uh, in the previous group, you you the previous group of names you rattled off, Ozzy Albies. At number 41. Seems pretty low, right? For a consistent early rounder who's only 24 years old. But there's basically no discount being applied there. Average ADP round three in Roto, round four in, in head-to-head. And, and that's kind of that's kind of where he's been going the past few years. So there's not even really any like built-in discount from the past in all likelihood. It's just, you're keeping him at what it would cost to draft him, which may be worth it. If a bunch of early rounders are already being kept, there's no reason to save that third round pick for, for somebody other than Aussie Albies, but it just may not be a particularly high priority for you. If, if, you have a lot of high, uh, heavy discounts. You have few keeper spots to work with. And your focus is on the short term. If you were playing a league where 10 players are kept, you know, it's getting to be more of like a borderline dynasty format. But I could understand 
keeping a 24 year old with with Albie's track record, why that would be a much higher priority for you. But that's just not how this list is set up. Yeah, and I think that's a, that last point you made is a really good one, Scott. Because the more keepers you play with in your league, the smaller the the pool is of players that you could draft. So that's obviously going to change some valuations as well. Where you know if there's eight players being kept by each team in your league, and Ozzy Albie's is a third or fourth round keeper, then yeah, it probably makes sense to to keep him there. Because let's say you throw him back, he might be a first round pick because of how many players are already being kept. So these are things that you need to keep in mind as well uh, when playing in keeper leagues um, also. I, I just thought of some examples, by the way, of some, if, if, if you're more, if you want more assurances from your keepers, if you're putting together a top 50 list of your own and you want uh, more assurances with those last five spots than the Jazz Chisholms and Dalton Varshows of the world, uh, Xander Bogarts, few years older than Ozzy Albies, sort of the same situation where you're really not getting any sort of discount there, but he's just very bankable. Yep. Fred Freeman, who I mentioned earlier, didn't quite make the list because he's on the wrong side of 30 and borderline first rounder. Jacob deGrom, mm-hmm. obviously a lot of potential for impact there. Probably not much longevity and not really any kind of discount. Um, that It was interesting, by the way, kind of breezed by him. Uh, but Shane Bieber, I had him way up at 23rd, even though you're probably keeping him with a first-round pick, and he's probably not being drafted in the first round. It's just he's 26 years old, and he's had a couple years where he was borderline the best pitcher in his league, right? And I just think the impact, the potential for impact and the possibility of longevity there are both so high that particularly if you're looking at a scenario where there's nobody – nobody you would consider drafting in the first round is going to be available anyway. I think he's worth holding on to. Um, even with, even considering some sort of, you know, long-term, long-term ramifications there. Shane Bieber is just a Scott White special, man. You love this guy. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it's true. Well, why wouldn't you? I, I don't, just look at the performance. I mean, even this past year, he was incredible. In April, Incredible. I think there, I think there is a, still a lot of, I think there's a lot of risk, Scott, right now. Uh, just where we well, are, not knowing anything outside of seeing him return in late September, making only two starts. You don't have to put much stock into that, but the fact that his velocity and his spin rates were way down in both of those starts, I mean, it is something that's in the back of my mind. So, I mean, he he hadn't even really stretched out. You know, he was going yeah. two innings. I don't know. I, I don't put much stock in that, but fair enough. I did also want to mention, because I had Alec Manoa here rounding out the list at number 50. I could have just as easily gone with Shane McClanahan, Dylan Cease, maybe even Shane Boz. You know, they were basically all undrafted as well or drafted very late. Uh, you know, I went with Manoa. I like Manoa the best of that group, but those are all very similar cases, and he's kind of a placeholder for all of them. All right, there are a few other things that I want to get to here quickly, Scott. And I mentioned I have this list of who might be a good keeper late in drafts this year based on injuries, uh, maybe players who are still kind of working their way back from Tommy John. And I also have a few young hitters that I think uh, have the ability to maybe take that next step. So uh, I'm going to throw the injured ones at you first here, Scotty, and you let me know. I don't know if there's one or two names here on this list that you like more than the rest. Dustin May had Tommy John surgery last season. Sixto Sanchez had shoulder surgery. Some not-so-great reports either coming out about him and 
I think it was Craig Mish who reported that um, Sixto Sanchez is basically just going off and doing his own thing. He's like not listening to the team doctors when it comes to rehab. So that doesn't sound great. Uh, Nate Pearson had sports hernia surgery back uh, right after the season ended. He should be good to go for the start of the season. Steven Strasburg is 33 years old. He had thoracic outlet surgery. That one is quite scary. Kent Maeda had Tommy John and Mike Soroka uh, had Achilles surgery again last season. So one or two names here, Scott, that stand out. I think the most attractive keeper by far is Dustin May. Yeah. And I'm not even sure he's a great keeper for the context we're talking about where you're only keeping five or six players because he hadn't achieved that. He hadn't gotten to where like Chris Sale and Justin Verlander are, right? He looked like maybe he was turning the corner, but it was five starts. Right. I, I think I think it's more of a dynasty context where we're talking about um, enjoying that Dustin May discount. But yeah, the others are pretty worrisome. Kenta Maeda, not so much because it's just Tommy John surgery for him, but he's old. He's old. He's very old. <laughs> yeah. I think maybe if you're short term focused, uh, I don't know. I still think I'd probably put Dustin May ahead of him, but. Yeah, Tommy John surgeries is very projectable as opposed to some of these other ones. Yeah, Sixto Sanchez, you know, I'm, I'm putting together my top 100 prospects right now, and he's of course in it. But it's he's a very like boomer bust case right now because uh, the the sort of shoulder surgery he had, I think it was a um, torn shoulder capsule. Not a great track record for the pitchers coming back from that. He's very young, of course, and. You know, Julio Arias, forget what injury he had on his shoulder, and and I worried about that then, and he came back just fine, obviously. But if Sixto Sanchez comes back and he's throwing 94 instead of 98, then suddenly it's like his his entire his entire profile changes. And I mean, look what we saw with AJ Puck for the athletics last year. I guess it'd be a similar situation where he seemed like a very bankable pitching prospect. Sixto Sanchez, even more so, because we've seen him do it against major leaguers. But Puck's, Puck's dynasty appeal just cratered because his velocity wasn't there returning from returning from injury. And if that happens for Sixto Sanchez, you know, he'll, he'll either he'll either if, if he comes back fine, he'll probably be a fixture in your fantasy rotation right away. If he doesn't, then yeah, I mean he might he might be uh he might be a dynasty asset to unload. Oof. All right. Well, again, that is Sixto Sanchez. A few other names here you might want to target late in your keeper drafts. Luis Severino, Mike Clevenger, Noah Syndergaard. That's really a trio of Tommy John recoveries. What is that what we settled on? Recoveries, I think. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Severino and, and Syndergaard, they pitch a little bit down the stretch out of the bullpen for their respective teams. Mike Clevenger did not. Uh, he's He should be good to go by the time, you know, spring training hopefully uh, comes around and the the season starts. So those are some names later on in your drafts. And then some young hitters who I think still have quite a bit of upside. Alex Kirilov, Gavin Lux, Seiya Suzuki. He's not really young, but lots of upside apparently coming over from Japan, assuming he comes over from Japan. Andrew Vaughn, O'Neill Cruz, Joe Adele, Spencer Torkelson, Josh Young, and Adley Rutschman. And really all these names I think are players who could have an impact this season as well, and they're just going later on in drafts. But yeah, there's a real chance that they take that next step, and maybe we're talking about them next year as the yeah. biggest break. Yeah, I mean, players to target late if if um, if your league set up like yours and picking up a waiver claim isn't going to be nearly the same discount as drafting a guy late. I think 
all of these names make sense. I don't have a lot of hope for Gavin Lux being an impact player anymore, but that's just me. I did want to mention with Luis Severino, Mike Clevenger, Noah Syndergaard, really the time to have them stashed away was last year because they're probably going to be drafted around the top 50 pitchers this year. I have them all just a little inside my top 50. And you'll notice none of them made my top 50 keepers yeah. with the discount being applied from last year. I just don't think any of those three are as bankable as like a Justin Verlander or Chris Sale who both ranked pretty low on the list. So they didn't miss it by much. If I was ranking them in terms of how much I want to keep them, it would be Luis Severino 1, Mike Clevenger 2, Noah Syndergaard 3. Yes, let's go Yankees. <laughs> yeah. uh, all three of them are currently being drafted outside the top 175 and ADP, so that's what caught my eye, the fact that you know they're going pretty late sure. as of now. Uh, you know, sure. Obviously, things could change over the next couple of months. Let's wrap up here, Scotty, with a few Facebook keeper questions that we got um, over on Facebook. Duh, I just said that. This one's from Jason King, looking to keep two of these three. Alec Manoa, Shane Boz, and Logan Gilbert. I love Manoa, but what are your thoughts on the floor slash ceiling for the other two? Well, look, they all have a very high ceiling. Yes. I think Manoa wins out the floor case. The floor case uh, puts Manoa ahead, certainly in redraft leagues. If you're talking more of a long-term situation, I think I go Boz. Boz is my number one pitching prospect entering this year. I think Grayson Rodriguez would be the consensus, and I have I, those two are clearly one and two in some order. I go Boz ahead of Rodriguez, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm cool with that. I I think Boz has the highest upside of these guys too, and I like Logan Gilbert based on the way that I've drafted so far in ADP that I've seen. I just have this feeling. I'm still kind of working through my rankings right now, but. I think I'm going to be higher on Logan Gilbert than the consensus, but I'm still going to have Alec Manoa ranked higher than him for redraft. Uh, and yeah, just Shane Boz in general. Um, I worry a little bit about the workload this year for Shane Boz, but I think long-term, the upside is absolutely tremendous. So yeah, I would I would go with Manoa and, and uh, Shane Boz if you're thinking long-term for those two. This one's from Garrett Spence. Can only keep two, and they move up two rounds each year. Can Brian Hayes in the 13th, Jared Kelnick in the 13th, and Bobby Witt Jr. in the 16th. Well, Scott, you really only need to decide on one of these because Bobby Witt was inside your top 50. Yes, yes. Kelnick's the other one. It's it's not a hard decision. I know I, I loved Hayes going into last year. He wasn't the caliber of prospect either of these other two are, and he's coming off a year that raised a lot of doubts about what kind of offensive ceiling he has. So Witt and Kelnick are the easy, easily the two choices here. Steamer projections for Jared Kelnick, by the way, 232 batting average. Don't love that. But 22 homers, 12 steals, you know. If he could find a way to get that batting average up, which I think he could, you know, maybe he could hit. Oh, like, yeah, easily could. Yeah, I mean, maybe he can hit like 250 this year and then, you know, long-term continue to build on that batting average. But even if he does that, 250 with, you know, 20-plus homers and double-digit steals, that would be a fantastic season for a 13th round keeper. This next one's from Gary Crocker. 12-team head-to-head standard categories. I'm already keeping Trey Turner, Jose Ramirez, and Jordan Alvarez. I need to choose four more of these. Jared Kelnick, Chris Sale, Ian Anderson, Francisco Lindor, Alex Kirilov, Mitch Hanniger, and Franmil Reyes. Mitch Hanniger, I thought, was kind of interesting. I don't know how close he was to making the list, Scott, but I know he was drafted really late last year. He was, yeah, 
I don't know. I don't know that the peripherals are such that like, I kind of feel like what he did, what this healed version of Mitch Hanniger, what he manifested as is 20 in 2021 is basically the high point for him. I feel like he can only get worse and he's not that young. So that's why he's not on the list, but yeah, he didn't miss it by much. Um, so because there were no round numbers included here, no salary values, and I assume this is just keeping the best players straight up, and if that's the case, I go I go Hanniger, Lindor, Sale, and That last one's a little tough. Probably Ian Anderson. I think I would go Kelnick. But it's close. Well, head-to-head categories, yeah. I mean, it kind of depends how many outfielders you start. Right. Because then you'd yeah, you'd have Yordan Alvarez, Kelnick, and Hanniger. Those would be your three. Um, assuming mm-hmm. you play three, but maybe you use more than that. Uh, but, yeah, I agree with the first three, and then it's it's close between Ian yeah, Anderson and Yeah, no, I'd probably lean Kelnick with you. Yeah, just depends on the circumstances a little bit. All right, this last one is from Alvaro Jose Escorcio. Escorcio. I hope I said that right. Uh, is Riley Green worth a keeper in a 10 by 10 head-to-head categories with up to 10 keepers? Uh, Riley Green, for those who don't know, Tigers outfield prospect. He's a top 10 prospect overall in baseball. And this past season in the minors, 301 batting average, 24 homers, 14, uh, 16 steals across AA and AAA. I think there's a good chance we see him... We're going to see him this season. I don't know how early, Scott, but I'm thinking maybe like May or June. Potentially, yeah. There, there's some disagreement in the prospect community whether Riley Green or Spencer Torkelson is the better prospect for the Tigers. I go Torkelson, but they're you know they're probably four and five in my top 100. <sighs> Ten keepers. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it depends somewhat if you're going for it in 2022 or if you're not. Yeah. Let's assume a 12-team league. That means 120 players are being kept. I mean, Riley Green is not anywhere close to the top 120 in terms of ADP right now. So 10 is getting to that point where there's not a lot of roster turnover happening from year to year, and you do need to be a little more long-term focused, even if you're not going, even if you are going for it. And and you can't get many prospects better than Riley Green. I still think he doesn't quite make the cut in a 12-team league. If it was deeper, 15 teams, 16 teams... Certainly like a 2014 league. Mm-hmm. And it's probably a different story, but I, th- I think he falls just a little short for me. Yeah. He's on the fringe. It's it's close. And and look, Alvaro, you know your league more than we do. So if they're keeping, you know, if every team is keeping a, a prospect or even if some teams are keeping multiple prospects, then yeah, I think you, you probably want to consider uh, more so keeping someone like Riley Green. So uh, it comes down to like circumstances here, but he's on that fringe. Um I think just in a vacuum, I would probably say no as well, but it is pretty close. We're going to wrap there. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball. Today, we'll be back again on Thursday. Bye-bye. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town. 
And they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+.